Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And today on the show, we are starting our Great Director series, starting with a movie directed by Steven Spielberg, which is Jurassic Park, one of his most famous movies and a big summer blockbuster that has been in some drive-in theaters and movie theaters across the country right now because they're showing older movies. And so this is, and it's on Netflix currently, so it's kind of had a little bit of a resurgence. So excited to talk about this one. This was another suggestion that came to us um, from our Silver Screen Podcast Facebook page and Instagram when you can suggest movies that you would like us to review there since we're still in the middle of a pandemic and nothing new is really coming out. But excited to talk about Jurassic Park today. Katie, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. I am. I must admit, I'm enjoying the weather because it's cooled down a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, I'm not ready for summer to be over, though. Uh Definitely hope it's not. Also, Jared, I completely forgot the pointless goal I set for myself to read all of Harry Potter in September. (laughs) So now I have this huge stack of books that I am trying to get through in August. Great. And by huge stack, I mean, I literally set out 13 books and was like, let's just see. So I've already read. I think I've I've finished four. I'm going to finish my fifth tonight. Okay. But. Two of them I did not start in August. Okay. Anyway, it's a lofty goal, but it's my own fault for setting unrealistic expectations that don't matter. No one's going to know if I read Harry Potter. No, but I've said it on the podcast. It's just you. It's just for you. (laughs) But I am eager to start in September Harry Potter because I don't think I've reread them in about two years. So it's time. It is. Yeah. So that'll yes. be good to, to check those Thank out you. once again. And I How will say I'm good. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I will say you're a big fan of um, like physical books. You don't really do the Love. e-readers much. Um, no, you're more I have, a physical book person. <laughs> yes, I have. I'm one of those weird people also who loves the smell of books, mm-hmm. like any kind of literature. Now, yeah. I do have I definitely have an allergy to older books, like if they have like a mold that sounds yeah. so gross, but I'm I'm aware that I'm allergic to this. There's but like 20 magazines, years of dust caked on them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> magazines, library books, picture books, you name it. I I love the smell of books, Great. but I also just like holding a physical book. So I rarely I have a Kindle, but um, a lot of times on vacation I'll bring a Kindle just to mm-hmm. save space. Um, but you're and like I was right. using I like my books. Kindle to uh, get books from the library when the library was closed due to COVID because oh, yeah. you could yeah. do ebooks and stuff. So I would use it for that. So I, I go back and forth, though, for sure. So yeah, definitely. We, uh, we don't have too much news today. Just two things real quick. First up, uh, Nia DaCosta was selected to direct Captain Marvel 2, which will be out at some point in the next few years. I don't know. With coronavirus, everything's getting pushed back and moved around. So um, that's very exciting news. She is the first female black director for the franchise for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So excited to see what she can do with Captain Marvel 2. And she also directed Jordan Peele's Candyman, which that movie is not... I thought that movie was supposed to come out this fall, but I don't know if it's gotten moved back or not due to COVID-19. I will look that up real quick here. I wondered the same thing. I was... When I was looking her up, when I saw the announcement, I was really excited. And then I thought, Candyman? I don't think I ever saw that, but I definitely... 
Always so want to go to his movies? So it was supposed to come out June 12th, and it has been delayed till October 16th right now. We'll see okay. if that release date holds or not. Um, it's still like two months away, so it's a little early to move it at this point. But it is supposed to come out later this year. Again, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. But that seems like it's more of a horror movie as well, especially with Jordan Peele involved. You know it's going to have some, some scary yeah. aspects and some horror aspects. But I liked the first Captain Marvel. That was the first ever episode we did of the Silver Screen podcast was reviewing Captain Marvel and I thought it was pretty good so excited to see obviously it made a lot of money at the box office so excited to see kind of mm-hmm. what they do with Captain Marvel too. I so am I. Um and I was thrilled to see that it was Nia DaCosta. I haven't seen any of her movies but she sounds pretty amazing. Nice. So um also with that um we we have a lot of movies too in the Marvel Cinematic Universe coming out that are more female led superhero movies like Captain Marvel 2, like Black Widow, things like that. So they're definitely getting some more female superheroes involved, which is cool to see too. Speaking of female superheroes, Jared, I do have a piece of news that okay. I can't believe I forgot to tell you before we were recording today. What is it? Um, so Arjun and I have been together over three years. So our anniversary is, is it's this week. But he gave me a gift earlier early. And I can't believe I didn't tell you this. But it has to do with female superheroes. Okay. He gave me the entire box set of Murder, She Wrote. Oh, I now own... 264 <laughs> episodes and I have been watching them nonstop. So even though we're not talking recommendations yet, people, please go do yourself a favor, find a season of Murder, She Wrote and sit back and relax and enjoy every minute of it. Nice. And now you can watch every episode <laughs> as many times as you I want. Know. So. You can come over when this pandemic is Great. over and watch them with me. <laughs> All 264. I'm going to be there for a month. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I don't know if Arjun, I think he'll admit this. He has been enjoying the episodes okay. that he's watched with me. Yes. Also, I remember one time Arjun got you a uh, Fast and Furious coloring book as well. He did. So. I've actually colored <laughs> pictures from it. Uh, I'm ashamed to say, but it, you know, coloring is relaxing and fun. So yes. I can't recommend it enough. And the reason I bring that up is because Forbes released their list of the top 10 highest paid actors for 2020. Now, the actresses list is not out yet. We'll probably talk about that on next week's show, but the top 10 highest paid actors of 2020. Would you like to know who they are? Yes. <laughs> okay, the Fast and Furious definitely have some connections here. So, number 10, mm. Jackie Chan. Number 9, <laughs> Adam Sandler. Number 8, uh-huh. Will Smith. Number 7, Lin-Manuel Miranda, probably for the Ooh. Hamilton deal on uh-huh. Disney+, Plus. I would assume. Uh, uh-huh. And maybe Mary Poppins when that came yep. out. Whatever. Uh, number 6, Akshay Kumar or Akshay Kumar. I don't I can't say I know who that is. I don't know if that's a Bollywood actor or not. Mm. Um, I have not heard of that particular actor. So um, but he made a lot of money. So congrats to him. So um, he is in Bollywood films pretty much. Uh, uh, just okay. looked, uh, number five is Vin Diesel, who made fifty four million dollars <laughs> this year. Uh, number four is Ben Affleck. Number three Whoa. is Mark Wahlberg with fifty-eight million. Now, who sense. do you th- do you have any guesses for who the top two possibly are? I will tell you, Tom Hanks is not in there. So, this is, but this is only for twenty twenty. Only for twenty twenty, I guess. Okay, yeah, I, guess, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed Tom Hanks for that then. Um, wait, is it so like weird middle of twenty nineteen? Say- it's between June twenty nineteen and June twenty twenty. So middle of it's last year to be, middle of this year. It's not going to be Adam Driver because he does more indie films. No, nope. Rob Pattinson. 
Nope, not in the top two. So <laughs> number two is Ryan Reynolds with $71 million. <gasps> Chris Evans. Not Chris Evans. Dang it. Who do you think okay, number one know. is? Who is who's number in a ton one? of movies? Yeah. Like a movie uh, every like three months. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say Chris Pratt, but no. Uh, no. Nope. Uh, any of the Hemsworth brothers? Nope. It is. Uh, I'm going to give it to you. It's The Rock. Please. Dwayne oh, The Rock Johnson, number one. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Good 80, on you, buddy. $87 million earned between June 2019 and June 2020. So that's, congrats that's to obscene. Dwayne. But good it is. job. But Great. he was in Hobbs and Shaw, that Jumanji movie. I think yep, he was in something yep. else. He was in three or four movies. So He's probably still getting money from Moana. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, still collecting residuals from <laughs> Moana. He has a clothing line out now with Under Armour. So he's got a lot of stuff uh, happening. So congrats to Drain wow. the Rock Johnson, number one on the list of highest paid actors of 2020. He made $87.5 million. I'll be interested when the female actresses, when the actresses list comes out, what the amounts are. And if they're equal to the male amounts, we know they won't be like the highest paid actress will nope. have earned like 35 million or something. So uh, that'll be out soon, though. Forbes always kind of staggers those. So that we'll mm-hmm. probably we'll probably discuss that on next week's episode. So that's all of our news for today. So now we'll move into our recommendations. I just have one recommendation for today, um, and that is a book that I have started reading that I really like so far. It is uh, Hank Green, the brother of John Green, famous author. Uh, Hank Yes. Green has also started to write a few books. I'm reading the first one that he came out with, which is called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. And it came out in 2018. So I got that from the library this week. And it's really good so far. I'm about 20% of the way done with it. Um, but it's interesting. And it's uh, it's a YA book, but it's got some science fiction elements and some some uh, like mystery adventure elements in it too. So pretty good for any age, really. But I'm really enjoying it so far. And obviously, John Green has always been like the, the famous author in that family. But Hank mm-hmm. is trying to, you know, cement his mark as well because he was getting jealous of John's success. He's like, I need to write some books too of course (laughs) of course so that's my only recommend for this week well that's great good job still reading too um i so i have three things to recommend this week um i watched i'm trying to catch up on that list that i told you i made of netflix and hulu and all sorts of things i wanted to watch i watched american sun on netflix okay deals with a lot of racial issues it's an interracial couple that is married on the verge of divorce their son is involved in some sort of police action. Um, I won't ruin any of it, but Carrie Washington is in it and she's nominated for an Emmy for her performance. Okay. And the it is a it was originally a play, so the movie all takes place in one setting, which I love when they oh, do that's that. Cool. Which is okay. uh, to me that like screams play, even if you don't know it's a play in the yeah. first place. Um it was fantastic. It's it's not an uplifting film um because it deals with such heavy topics, but it was like an hour and a half long. So so good. Definitely worth a watch, especially if you want to learn more about racial issues and also if you want to support Carrie Washington being nominated for four Emmys. Um, the second thing I watched that actually dealt with the same similar topics I watched Hello Privilege, It's Me, Chelsea, that was starring Chelsea Handler. It was a documentary she did for Netflix. And she did this before a lot of the protests and things this year. Okay. Um, It was so good. And I am not a huge Chelsea Handler fan. She's fine, but she's not someone I followed for years or anything. It was eye-opening and so honest and also funny. But I really can't recommend it enough. It's one of the best. It's definitely one of the best things I've watched on Netflix this year. Okay. So, hello, privilege. It's me, Chelsea. 
And the last thing I wanted to recommend is I think I told you a while ago, Jared, I got a book called Waiting for Tom Hanks. I picked it up kind of like not as a joke at all, but just I thought I'm just going to get this because it says Tom Hanks on it. Um, (laughs) So then I, I come to find out the author who is Carrie Winfrey like Oprah Winfrey. It looks like Winfrey. Uh Um, She lives in Ohio, which I did not know. So there's a ton of references to different parts of Ohio in this book, including Ohio State and other colleges. And this book was so good. I read it in 24 hours. Um, And then I noticed a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jenna, read it as well shortly thereafter. But Jared, I had to tell you the first three sentences of this book because it is literally, (laughs) it is is me. And I feel like people on this podcast will get it. Um, I just thought I would have met Tom Hanks by now. Not real Tom Hanks, the beloved actor. After all, he's married to Rita Wilson, and I'm not the sort of monster who would want to break up what is perhaps Hollywood's one truly perfect union. And anyway, I'm 27, so he's a little bit old for me. No offense if you're reading this, Tom. That's the beginning of this book. The whole thing was so charming, and it's a it's definitely like a rom-com book. Um, there is not like gratuitous sex or anything okay. in it. There's no violence. It is just pure happiness. So again, that's by Carrie Winfrey, Waiting for Tom Hanks, favorite book of the week. So highly recommend that and the two things on Netflix. Nice. Very nice. So with that, we'll get into our review of Jurassic Park, which was released on June 11th of 1993, rated PG-13, two hours and seven minutes. Fun fact about this movie, my mom and dad saw this movie when I when my mom was pregnant with me because I was born in oh. September of 1993, and my mom would have been five months, six months pregnant at that time, and it was very oh. hot apparently, and she's like, I want to go somewhere with air conditioning. So they went to the movies. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And they saw Jurassic Park and they saw something else, too. But I remember they saw Jurassic Park. My dad told me so. That's cute. I've seen this movie while I was in the womb and also in real life. So uh, it is two hours and seven minutes. As I said, IMDb is 8.1 out of 10. Seems a little low, honestly, if I'm being honest. Like I would have expected this in the nines. I was surprised by that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I really was surprised by that. But. But it's fine. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes knows what's up. Critics, 91%. Audience, 91%. Box office-wise, domestically made $403 million. Worldwide made over a billion dollars, <laughs> which is incredible. Budget was about yep. $63 million, roughly, uh, we think. So very high-grossing, high-earning movie that has obviously spawned a lot of sequels. The Jurassic World series with Chris Pratt. And Bryce Dallas Howard are in those movies, and they're still making more of those. So even 25 years later, Jurassic Park is still, you know, living on. So the synopsis, if you don't know, is a pragmatic paleontologist visiting an almost complete theme park is tasked with protecting a couple of kids after a power failure causes the park's clone dinosaurs to run loose. And then all chaos ensues for for two hours and seven minutes. So Mm -hmm. this review is from... Sean O'Connell of the Washington Post who reviewed it a little bit later after it had come out. He said Jurassic Park was impressive in 1993. 20 years later, it's flawless. So definitely, I think that's one thing we'll talk about in our likes and dislikes too. This movie is very timeless and even though it is 27 years old at this point, it still feels like it could have come out today because it still holds up very well. So next up is Neil Manow of the Chicago Sun-Times who says Spielberg has gone on to weightier and more prestigious projects, but this thrill ride is one of his best and a masterpiece of the genre. 
And then there is a negative review here from Terrence Rafferty of The New Yorker. Of course, he's from The New Yorker. Why He would never like Jurassic Park because <laughs> The New Yorker is a very we-go-to-the-cinema type of publication. Highbrow. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Terrence says, for all the ingu- er, ingenuity of the movie's engineering, Jurassic Park doesn't have the imagination or the courage to take us any place we haven't been a thousand times before. It's just a cre- uh, creature feature on amphetamines. So hmm. <laughs> Terrence was having a bad day. Now, I will say I will agree with Terrence's point a little bit about some of the newer ones, because I feel like they just rehash the formula. But this is the original. So this one did it first. So, you know, I would expect that comment about Jurassic World or whatever Jurassic World, the second one was called. Um, Definitely. But for the original, that kind of paved the way. And then finally, we have Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly, who says Spielberg's peerless twin gift has always been making has always been for making the fantastic seem real. Close Encounters, E.T., Indiana Jones trilogy. A trilogy and the real fantastic with Jaws. So definitely a little bit of both in this one. I think there's, there's some fantasy elements, but there's also a realism aspect because they set the the backstory up really well with the dinosaurs and how they actually made them and cloned them and things that it does. It is kind of more realistic in the terms of like it's a zoo that basically the all the gates got unlocked and all the animals are running wild. So uh, this was directed, of course, by Steven Spielberg based on the novel by Michael Crichton. He also wrote the screenplay Crichton did um, and it won three Oscars for best sound, best effects, and best uh, visual effects as well for sound effects editing and for visual effects. So definitely a big uh, sound movie and a big visual effects movie with the dinosaurs and, and all that stuff. And then we don't need to tell you what else Steven Spielberg has directed because there's tons and tons of stuff. So right. you know, just name some movies off. E. <laughs> name likely. a movie. Yeah, yeah. Chances are you'll say one. E.T., Indiana Jones, Jaws, all those, you know. Shin was a list, done everything. What is his most recent movie? Ready Player One, maybe? Is that the one that he directed most oh, recently? I also heard that I well, I heard it was a little disappointing, but I've heard that book is fantastic. But again, I'm not into sci-fi, so Yeah, not, I did read the book and I saw the movie. I thought the movie was pretty good, but the book is definitely better than the movie, mm. I think. So yeah. I'm looking up the last thing he directed. Yes, it was Ready Player One. And then he is directing. Oh, good job. See, I wouldn't have known that. He is directing West Side Story, which is supposed to come out this year, which oh, Katie and I have yeah. mixed feelings on. So I know I have very decisive feelings on it. It's going to take a lot to change my mind. And I love Spielberg, but I was so mad when I found out they were remaking that film. And if my, I don't know if my friend Alex, if she listens to the podcast, but shout out to Alex. I've mentioned her. We've talked about this before. Alex and I are irate, and we regularly check check in on each other just to be like, so that stupid movie is still coming out because we love the original West Side Story so much, and neither of us are fans of Ansel Eggcord either. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I haven't, I'm sorry. Has, that just got so ragey. No. West Side Story. Don't go see it. So it's supposed to come out at Christmas. We'll see if that happens. That's still a few months yeah. away, but if it does, also, we'll probably if, review it. <laughs> And if you do, just if people are interested in watching the original West Side Story, uh, it is on Netflix right now. Oh, very nice. Okay. Yes. Good to know. As is this movie. So, and you found some fun facts about Steven Spielberg and some things that um, he's known for throughout his career, but also just some fun things about him. Yes, absolutely. I figured since we are focusing on directors, we should share a little about them, like who they are specifically. So these were all, I did take all of these from IMDb. Some of them I knew, some of them I did not. Hmm. So Spielberg, first of all, was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had no idea. 
And now that I live in Ohio, anything I hear about it that I'm proud of, <laughs> I'm going to share. Um, <laughs> he is one of the world's most well-known directors. He is also one of the wealthiest in the entire world. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to tell you how many houses he has, but I did start to... there. Okay. He owns a lot of property. I feel like he doesn't flaunt his wealth, though. No, like he's I don't rich, think so either. But again, he may have a lot of real estate and some things. Right. But like, you don't see Steven Spielberg driving around L.A. and like, you know, one of seven his different Maserati. Lambos or anything. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> he also, he was awarded the AFI Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995. So he got that, I wouldn't say early on in his career, but but long before now. Yeah, yep. Um. He is also a co-founder of the production company DreamWorks. So if you all have ever seen that, it looks like E.T. is flying mm-hmm. in the, that's the, the, the logo. symbol, the logo. Yeah. Yes. So it's that company. I did not know this, but I'm not surprised in the least. He is the godfather of Gwyneth Paltrow and Drew Barrymore. Okay. Interesting. How fun is that? So he probably takes no responsibility for goop. So he's probably trying to distance <laughs> yeah. himself from that as much as possible. Yeah, I think he's removed from there. But <laughs> he also, I didn't know this either. He also almost directed Big, the movie with Tom Hanks, uh-huh. but he chose not to because he didn't want to steal the thunder from his sister Anne, who co-wrote the script for that film. Okay. Very, Very kind. Nice. Um, recently he was asked what films he wants to be remembered for. And he said E.T. and Schindler's lists. So I didn't at least read why he said those things. I think they speak for themselves, but Mm -hmm. those are the two that he's like, I'm proud of these. That makes sense. Another, the last two, I didn't know this either. He considered directing a Harry Potter film and I think was kind of in talks to do so, but ultimately decided not to. And also, I want to just shout out to my dad because I've mentioned Lawrence of Arabia is one of, I mean, it, I it's in my dad's top three. It's got to mm-hmm. be. Lawrence of Arabia, though, starring um, Peter O'Toole. That is uh, Steven, sorry, Steven Spielberg's favorite movie. And he cites D- David Lean, the director, as one of his largest influences. Also, if you look up the career of David Lean, he directed some insanely good uh, life-altering movies that went down in cinematic history. So that it makes sense that that is who he admires and cites as his largest influence. Well, and Lawrence of Arabia, too, is such like an epic movie for it when is. it came out. And it's very long, too. It's like four hours long. It's up there with it Gone with the Wind. And it definitely <laughs> is. And it's length. But I can see why he admires that movie, because there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in that movie and a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, physical special effects and, and things like that. So it's yeah. very good if you haven't seen it. But just know it is very long. So walk in for an afternoon to watch Horns of Arabia. So (laughs) we will take a quick break here on the Silver Screen Podcast, and then we'll come back and talk about the cast for this movie and our likes and dislikes for Jurassic Park. And we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking about Jurassic Park for our Great Directors series, starting off the series with Steven Spielberg. This movie has a lot of people in it. We're not going to hit on all of them, just kind of focus on Mm -hmm. the ones that are in big roles, starting with Sam Neill, who plays Dr. Grant in the movie. I mean, I didn't put in a crush alert, but I might as well have because Sam Neill is just such a classically handsome man. He plays Grant. He was born in Northern Ireland. A lot of people think he is from New Zealand. He grew up in New Zealand from the ages of seven on, but he was born in Ireland. Okay. He has a BA in English, Jared. I thought this was very important <laughs> because I have a BA in English. <laughs> Um, also, I thought it was really interesting. He's been appointed an OBE, which is an officer of the Order of the British Empire in 1991. That's a big deal. Um, he, of course, is known for Jurassic Park, but he has also been in Jurassic Park 3 
Event Horizon and Hunt for the Wilder People, a movie I saw. It was a, like a, like more of an independent film, and it was fantastic. Yeah, that was really good. And then next up, he is going to star in Jurassic World Dominion, whenever that comes out. Another movie called The Guinea Pig Club, and also Freedom Flight. So look oh. out for those. And Jurassic World Dominion uh, was supposed mm-hmm. to come out this year, but is coming out yes. next year now due to COVID. So June 11th of 2021. But I'm interested because not only is he going to be in it, but as you have here in the notes as well, Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern will be returning yes. for that one too. So provide some intrigue in that, mixing the new characters with, with the old. So Definitely. I was really excited about that myself. So next up, we have Laura Dern. She plays Ellie. She is, of course, the daughter of Bruce Dern and Diane Ladd. We briefly spoke about her in episode 35, where we reviewed the new Little Women, um, but we didn't really talk about her as a primary character. Mm -hmm. She's been nominated for acting Oscars in Rambling Rose, Wild, and Marriage Story, and she won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 2020 for her portrayal as Nora Fanshawe in Marriage Story, again, one of my favorites of last year. And she's also known for Wild, Blue Velvet, and Little Women. She played Marmee in the new version of Little Women, directed by Greta Gerwig. And next up, she will star in Jurassic World Dominion. Nice. Then we have Jeff Goldblum. I feel like Jeff Goldblum, everybody knows him, but he doesn't get talked about a lot because he hasn't been in things lately. Mm -hmm. Um, But he plays Malcolm. I definitely know this was the first thing I ever saw him in. Um, Jeff Goldblum was born in Pennsylvania. He is of Russian Jewish and Austrian Jewish descent, which I thought was fascinating. He is famous for his quirkiness. I couldn't think of a better word. I just thought quirky, (laughs) throw it in there. Um, He is best known for The Fly, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Independence Day. He has been nominated for an Oscar. I did not know that. Um, It was back in 1996 for a best short film live action called Little Surprises. Hmm. Um, He didn't win, though, but still great to be nominated. And he will also be in Jurassic World Dominion. Also, they shot The Piano Player and The Price of Admission. And Very then nice. I did not, I didn't want to um, skip over some of the other supporting cast members because some of these people, I've seen all of these people in so many films. Um, so some of the supporting cast members are Sir Richard Attenborough. Love him. B.D. Wong, who's in Law and Order SVU for a lot of the seasons. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. I'm pretty sure you know who that is. And Wayne Knight. If you don't know him, you do know him. You just don't know why you know him. But he is one of the main characters. He plays a, is it, it's Neddy, right? No. Nedry. Ned, yeah. Yeah, Nedry. Because <laughs> yes. it's, oh yeah, that came up later. So Nedry is an anagram of nerdy. I didn't know that, but I found that out when I was researching for the the notes today. That that's why they called him Nedry because he's nerdy. Nice, and you may film. know Wayne Knight from Seinfeld as well because he was on that yes. for many years. So yeah, because I knew him, but I didn't know that. I always forgot that actor's name, but I could definitely mm-hmm. place him in different movies. So he also plays uh, Al in Toy Story Two of Al's Toy Barn. So oh my that's gosh, his voice as well. You're right. So, <laughs> he has a very um, iconic voice, like mm-hmm. just the way his tone of voice is. You know that it's it's kind of like we talk about with Tom Hanks. Like you know when Tom Hanks is talking that yeah. it's his voice. Like. Same yep. thing with him. Like Morgan he just Freeman. has such a unique tone that you know it's him talking when he's yep. talking. So, so we'll get into our likes and dislikes now for the movie. Obviously, we have more likes than dislikes, but there's a lot of iconic scenes in this movie. A lot of great action pieces, such as the first time the T Rex uh, 
they see the T-Rex and they're in the Jeeps, the mm-hmm. the raptors in the kitchen, um, you know, various other scenes in this movie. We talked about Nedry, Nedry going down the, the little river or whatever and then getting attacked. So lots of very iconic scenes in this movie that I think even if you hadn't seen Jurassic Park, you've probably seen clips of one of those. Or if you see five seconds of something and it's, a, you know, one of the big action scenes of this movie, you can say, oh, that's from Jurassic Park. Like, you just know that yes. it is. So that's definitely a like of this movie is that it does have a lot of, of cool scenes. And even rewatching it for who knows how many times I've seen it now. But that that T-Rex scene where the T-Rex comes in initially and they're, you know, in the Jeeps in the water is, you know, vibrating and things like that. Like, that still brings a lot of tension even to this day, even though you know what's going to happen. So... Oh my gosh. There, yeah, there's that scene definitely stands out to me, but the three you named a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Nedry getting attacked with the venom. It was the Dilophosaurus that attacks him. I did look up because I people a lot of people want to point out there's no evidence that Dilophosaurus actually did have venom. Okay. Um, so that might have been just like a Hollywood thing. But I remember when I saw that scene, I was terrified. And even watching it the other night, I rewatched it just because, I mean, I've seen this movie over 10 times, um, but I was still terrified. Like that scene holds up for me. To me, that's the scariest scene just because I can't imagine the fear and you're soaking wet mm-hmm. and you can't see and, you know, but he, he was up to no good. So it had to happen. Yeah. And then um, I think... The the lawyer isn't Gennaro. Is that how you say his name? I never remember. I don't know. They don't really say his name much in the movie. So yeah, but he he gets eaten while he's sitting like a coward on a toilet. And I remember that as a kid because I didn't understand why he ran. But as an adult, I'm like, he left the kids. What a selfish mm-hmm. insert word here. So anyway, he gets attacked and eaten while he's sitting on a toilet, which is great. And then the other scene that um that terrified me is with the velociraptors when the kids, when everybody's like in the kitchen, it's like that kitchen area. Yep. And then that's right before they escape up into the ventilation system and all that. But that when they're trying to escape from the velociraptors is terrifying to me. Velociraptors almost scare me more than T-Rex. That makes sense. So anyway, the, the scenes hold up and I love this movie. It made me so excited to, to revisit it. Another like for this movie is, of course, the score and the theme music by none other than John Williams. So mm-hmm. another iconic score here, especially the music that plays when they enter Jurassic Park for the first time. That theme song is very iconic and you would recognize it anywhere nowadays. So another yep. <laughs> there you go. Another iconic score by John Williams. <laughs> That's all you get from me. there you go Um, another like for this movie is that there's a lot of good scenes between Sam uh, Neil's character Dr. Grant and of course Dr. Sadler as well but at the beginning of the movie Dr. Grant doesn't really like kids he finds them annoying like Tim one of the kids is just asking him all these questions and he's like "Um, which which jeep are you going to ride in and he was like well whichever one you're in and he's like Mm -hmm. okay I'm going to go to the other so like just very off putting but then through having to go through this adventure and kind of having the kids by his side for the whole movie, he kind of learns to love them and take care of them and really value them. So that's a really nice aspect of this movie. And the thing that happens a lot in Spielberg movies is that he really does focus on the kids and, and yes. their characters. So. And usually the kids, you know, the kids are going to be fine. So even if like you're scared in this movie watching it, you know, in the end, the kids are going to survive <laughs> if no one else does. But yeah. yeah, there's so many touching scenes 
scenes in this movie. This is a great family film. As long as your kids are older than, I would say, five. Mm-hmm. Don't show them this before then. But No. Also, don't like show them this right before bed because they'll probably no. have nightmares. Mm-mm. So watch it in the middle of the <laughs> afternoon on a Saturday, and that would probably be a great time yeah. to watch Jurassic Park. So it's exciting the whole way through. That's another like. It never really tapers off. And once the beginning part of the movie is exciting because of the intrigue of getting to Jurassic Park and the fact that mm-hmm. they've made dinosaurs and they're there in real life and you can see them and, and all that stuff. And then after that, the novelty factor is kind of worn off. Then it gets exciting because of all the action action sequences that we mentioned so the first part of this movie doesn't have a lot of action sequences which is unlike a lot of movies that are made today but it definitely keeps a good pace throughout the the whole film also can we talk about how this is this is definitely dating me but i'm proud of this reference yeah does anybody else think the mosquito the little mosquito flying around in the video at the beginning is is just from schoolhouse rock like he like (laughs) Flew out of Schoolhouse Rock. It was like, hi, kids, let's talk about DNA. Yeah. He like <laughs> flew out of Schoolhouse Rock and then delivered his speech in like a very Bill Nye-esque yes. way. And so, talked about yeah. cloning. <laughs> it was fascinating. But I remembered that from like when I was a kid and now as an adult, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> Yeah. Um, another like for me is that there's a lot of good like one liners in this movie, a lot mm-hmm. of good quotes. So a lot of those from Jeff Goldblum's character. But, <laughs> um, you know, there's like one where he's talking about like, it's like Disney World. And then Jeff Goldblum is like, yeah, but at Disney, when the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the guests. Like mm-hmm. just like a lot of good one liners. Of course, Welcome to Jurassic Park is a very iconic line. Um, Ian Malkin or, uh, you know, Samuel Jackson character saying hold on to your butts that's a that's a oh, classic line yeah. as well so yeah. um there's a lot of good one-liners in this movie though but um the the script is very good for this one that was one of my likes and then our final like is that the technology really good for for 1993 we mentioned that it got nominated in one special effects oscars but it still holds up even even 27 years later yeah when people when i was looking stuff up for this some people were just dogging on the technology and i'm like do you even remember <laughs> 1993 this looks so good there was only when i watched it this week there was only one scene where i thought it looked pretty fake like the dinosaurs didn't look real also when people are complaining about dinosaurs i'm like were you around when dinosaurs were walking the earth how do you know if this is accurate like for people to dog on the technology but not really be in that line of work i know some people are i'm sure there's some people in this podcast who actually do stuff or who listen to the podcast who actually do Mm -hmm. stuff on movies. But when people, when people are saying things about the technology in 93, I'm like, you probably weren't alive or contributing to this film in any capacity at that time. The only two parts I can think of that look a little fake are when the brontosaurus comes up and they're in the tree, Mm -hmm. like, and they're like petting its head. Like you can kind of tell that that's CGI now. And Mm -hmm. then the part with the T-Rex, the first time they see it, you can, you can kind of, it's a little easier to tell in 2020 what's actually the model and what they used for CGI in that Uh particular part, just because I've seen it a lot too, but you'll, you know, you'll notice that a little bit more, but everything else in this movie looks really good. And they did use a lot of like real, animatronics or you know real life models for the special effects because Spielberg was like very adamant that he wanted to build some actual dinosaurs and dinosaur heads and things like that and that definitely adds a sense of realism to it you know when they can Mm -hmm. reach out and touch a dinosaur or when a dinosaur is breathing three feet from them but you can tell it's like a real you know it's not computer generated so yeah I think it paid off I thought it looked great yeah 
Yep. Yeah. So now we'll move on to our dislikes real fast before we give our grades for this movie. So we neither of us here on the Silver Screen podcast love the old Samuel L. Jackson. Um, yeah. He's in a lot of movies and that's to be admired. And he's been in a lot of iconic roles. This was kind of earlier in his career when he was in this movie and he's in it for maybe 10 minutes. But, um, you know, he's he's kind of like just does the same thing in every movie. So that's yes. that's my dislike with him. <laughs> yes, I call him a one trick pony. Um, I hope he never hears that. I don't mean to insult <laughs> him in, in any way, but I just feel like we always know he's going to be like smoking, swearing like he's and he's not going to say one swear word. He's going to say a slew of words together that are inappropriate. Like mm-hmm. it's but it's the only thing he does. He's always like this no nonsense character that comes in and is like, let's let's do this and i just think can't you can you do anything else like could you be like a dad and your child is dying and you or like you're in some you know in an elderly people's home and you have some debilitating mm-hmm. disease like why is he only this one character every time and it's sad to see in 93 i'm seeing the same character i'm i see him do now in 2020 so yeah yeah he's just not my favorite and i mm-hmm. also i'm not even I felt like I did have to be a little nitpicky with this movie too, because I love it so much, but yeah, he just drives me insane and his Mm -hmm. character was fine in this movie. But after I've seen him play this character in 30 other movies, I'm kind of like just rolling my eyes at this point. Yeah. I feel like Will Smith kind of got accused of that early on in his career Mm -hmm. too, like doing the same time, like men in black and bad boys Mm -hmm. and always kind of like the, you know, outgoing bombastic, like goofy guy. And then he did like, you know, pursuit of happiness and everybody is like, like, oh, he Will Smith can actually like act in a dramatic movie. But Definitely. Samuel L. Jackson just has not really had that role where you've been like, oh, Samuel L. Jackson in a in a drama film like that just doesn't happen where it's like been right. a serious role for him. So um, this movie is a little long. Another dislike. It's two hours and seven minutes, um, maybe just like a 10, 15 minutes too long. I don't know what you would cut out. Maybe a few little things here and there. Like mm-hmm. the scene what there's a couple scenes where they eat meals, like one where Dr. Hammond is like explaining to them kind of some stuff in the park and then like another one where he's um, eating again and like those two scenes where it's just more dialogue I feel like you could cut that 10 minutes out and you'd probably be fine. You know what? I actually (laughs) that's so it's interesting that you bring that up because I agree with you about the first one. I would cut out the first one where he's just eating and talking to them but when he's eating the ice cream. Yeah. I specifically noticed that watching it this time and I'd never noticed it before, but I felt like that was kind of genius because it brought the tension down for a second. Like where you just realize yeah, these are normal true. people. Yeah. This is a grandfather that's like possibly killed his child, his grandchildren. Um, you know, Laura Dern is kind of, you see that maternal instinct and just her like female intuition and we can fix this and what's the next steps. So I, I really did love that scene, but I agree with you. I, I was going to say, I don't know what to cut out, but I would say like of two hours and seven minutes, I'd cut out at least the seven minutes. Yeah. yeah. Another dislike for me is that the little girl in this movie, Lex, is mm. basically useless. Um, yeah. <laughs> she does nothing to help anybody. Yeah. She screams whenever she's not supposed to, makes noise. She can't turn that dang flashlight off when she's, Ugh, you know, that trying made me to. so mad. <laughs> Get it together. And she she's like, every time she sees a dinosaur, she has to scream or Screaming. yell or something. And it's like, they she is the one that gets them caught nine times out of ten. And then yeah. we have little Tim over here who's like a little superstar genius, like knows mm-hmm. everything that there is to know and gets them. And the poor the poor Tim throws up in a Jeep, <laughs> gets thrown from it's a tree, electrocuted. gets electrocuted, and like I still... Mean, 
cruises on and then Lex, who doesn't have to go through any of that, just can't keep her mouth shut and yeah. not scream for five minutes. So Jared, I really I'm so <laughs> impressed that you brought that up because I you articulated that really well because it, they just it's another example, unfortunately, of making the girl not a strong character. And I don't know. I don't blame Spielberg yeah. or Michael Crichton for that. But I'm also just like, OK, uh-huh. I'm that's a positive change that I've seen over the last 20, 25 years. Um, but yeah, yeah, I remember when I first saw this movie and all the way up to now, I thought this girl is completely useless. Why is she in this movie? Her <laughs> scream is annoying. So I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. my, so the last thing that bothered me was that I I find myself wondering at the end of this movie, like, what's happening to the dinosaurs? Is someone going to clean up the mess? Like, are we concerned about the ones that can fly, flying to other places? <laughs> How are they going to die out again? Do we know what's going to happen? I felt like that is not resolved at the end. They just fly off the island. They're like, goodbye, peace out. And then we never know what's going to happen. And I say that, too, because in 93, we didn't know there were going to be sequels. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we just, that is this, true. This was supposed to be one complete film. And now I look at it and go, OK, well, some of those questions were answered in 2020. I know what's happening. But yeah. just watching this as a standalone, I'm like, but what who's going to who's going to clean up this mess and make sure these dinosaurs are OK and not going to attack other people? That is a very good point. And I feel like that issue gets addressed more in the new Jurassic, the Jurassic World movies, because like I feel like they focus more on the fact that it's like an actual theme park with like guests and that people are there, to, especially the first Jurassic World, like to see the dinosaurs and stuff. So like it's called Jurassic Park, and, but the theme park hasn't like opened to the general public yet in that movie like it's they're still testing it and getting it set up and everything so i feel like the jurassic world movies they were like we kind of need to put in there like what happens what the implications are if a dinosaur breaks out you know things like that so and then obviously like the jurassic park sequels like one of them the the lot i think a second or third one the dinosaur like you know gets loose in la and wrecks havoc and stuff like that oh, so yeah but yeah. the first one you're right it doesn't really get resolved it's just like we're flying away everybody's <laughs> survived mostly um, you know, Yay. everybody's pretty safe and we are off the island and we'll come back in a few weeks and clean this all up. So, right. <laughs> so those are basically all of our dislikes for Jurassic Park. Not too many. So are no. you ready to give your, your grade for this one? I am. I hope it's fair. I think it's your turn to go first. Okay, I'll go ahead and go first. This was number seven. I mentioned this on the last episode. Number seven mm-hmm. on my list of top ten movies of all time that I that I love. So I'm going to give this one a 93 out of 100. So <gasps> pretty high score for this one. What? Um, is that what you were going to give it? <laughs> we gave it the same score. Jared, I love when this happens. This never happened. Like, how many? This might be the third time we've done it. Yeah. This is so exciting. I also, I'm sorry I cut you off. I also gave it a 93. It's definitely like, it's not in my top 10 because. I definitely have classics mm-hmm. and some other things in there, but it is it is one of the best movies I've ever seen. And it's one of, to me, the most rewatchable, great, wholesome family films that you can see and was so ahead of its time as far as technology and such a unique idea. And I also love dinosaurs. I remember Sean and I played with dinosaurs together a lot as kids, and I was equally fascinated with them. <laughs> I will say you mentioned it's rewatchable. I probably watch it at least like once a year before we decided yeah. to do it for this for the podcast. I had already watched it once this year already just because I love the movie so uh-huh. it, it definitely has that timeless quality and it's a very easy rewatch and you know to see the action and the dinosaurs and all that stuff so 
That is, that's our grade for Jurassic Park, a 93 out of 100, Woo-hoo! which is kind of ironic because that's the year it came out, 1993. So, Ooh. 93 for 93. So, Ooh. the next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast, we're going to continue our director series with a female director. We had a lot of female directors that we could have chosen from. You know, we could have done mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig or Ava DuVernay or a lot of different people, but Patty we've Jenkins. decided Patty Jenkins, yes. Um, mm-hmm. We've decided on Catherine Bigelow who has directed a lot of movies, but the one we're going to review is uh, what was basically her third movie um, that she directed, pretty much, and that was Zero Dark Thirty with Jessica Chastain, yes. not Bryce Dallas Howard. Get them right. confused all the time. Bryce not Dallas Isla Howard. Fisher. Yeah, so They're it's a all very, different people. very good movie. Of course, Catherine Bigelow did The Hurt Locker as well and was married to James Cameron for a few years, and then they divorced, and then she Gross. beat him out at the Oscars. She sure um, did. <laughs> Yes. So that was a, a little jab for her, but both of those, The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, are very good, suspenseful, intense, mm. like action thrillers based on real life events. So we'll be talking about Zero Dark Thirty. So watch that before the next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. And, and that is a tense movie. Like you will be on the edge of yeah. your seat the whole time if you haven't seen it. So I definitely think I'm going to have to have a cocktail to sit through that one again. I think so. That's a stressful It's really one. good, but it is yeah. a stressful <laughs> film about a very intense topic that we we had to face as a nation Mm -hmm. yep crazy that'll be our next episode of the silver screen podcast and you can follow the show at podcast silver on twitter and instagram and then just search silver screen podcast on facebook and we'll pop up also wherever you're listening if you would like to rate and review the show that really helps us out we thank you for those we've gotten some ratings and reviews recently which we are very thankful for so feel free to leave one of those wherever you are listening and our next episode of the show will be on zero dark 30 until next time we'd like to thank the academy 